Amen. He is risen. Hey, grab your Bibles if you would and turn to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be this morning. It's good to see you all here today. We are really blessed that you have chosen to join us here at Heritage this morning to reflect on what Christ has done for us, to worship, to fellowship with one another. It's a great, great day. Amen? Oh, um, hang on a second. I got a call. Oh, it's not important. No, hang on. Here we go. Easter selfie. Everybody wave. All right. Okay, now that that's out of the way, 1 Corinthians 15. You got to connect with the kids. You know what I mean? 1 Corinthians 15 is where we are this morning. I'm just curious, as the lights are coming up, it'll be a little harder for me to see from up here, but, but uh, maybe it'll encourage you to participate a little better. If I could do a little survey really quickly. Who here would say that, that have the boldness, there's no shame in this, we are blessed to have you, but would anyone here be willing to say that you have been, this is either your first Easter ever or maybe up to like your fifth Easter service ever, but you are new, if you will, to this whole Easter celebration thing. How many hands would go up to say that that's me? Praise God, we're blessed to have you guys with us, yes, amen. Now, how many people... How many people would say this is like, you're probably in the 20s somewhere, raise your hand, for Easter services. That's like 20 years of going to church on Easter Sunday. Quite a few, quite a few. All right, um, I'm not gonna single out any old people. Um, so what I'll say, how many of us, you would say this is like 40 or beyond, just out of curiosity right here. A lot of hands up for that one too, yeah? Um, and that's, I'll stop there. I'll stop there. Yeah, it is really good to have you guys here, man. I, I, this, is, this would be my 41st Easter service that I've ever been a part of, um, you know, from infancy all the way up. I was born in the Bible Belt in North Carolina. My grandfather was a Baptist minister. Like, uh, I'm surprised I wasn't born in the church, if you know what I'm saying. Like, I have been at Easter services my entire life. And, and I grew up Baptist, Southern Baptist in Bible Belt, North Carolina. So Easter was not a day it was a week. There were Easter events all week, which as a kid, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was a kid with a little bit of attention deficit disorder that just wasn't diagnosed yet, who loved to be outdoors or play in sports. So that was a rough week for me. It was a rough week for me. So it, it would start Wednesday night service. We had Wednesday night service every week, obviously, just like we do here, Wednesday night, seven o'clock, free plug. Then on Thursday nights, we had Monday Thursday services. How many people remember Monday Thursday services in here? There you go, some denominational folks here that remember some of that. That was a meeting that we would have on Thursday nights there at the church that would kind of commemorate uh, the uh, Last Supper. We'd have communion. It was a really somber kind of service. And then, of course, then you would move to Friday. And Friday, you had Good Friday service at night, which we had here. Just a great time we had together this year um, of just somber reflection on what Jesus Christ did for us, it's an important reminder. It, it doesn't just remind us what Jesus did for us, but it reminds us of the grave end of sin and the true harmful effect that the Bible is true when it says the wages of sin is death. And we see it clearly in what occurred to our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we had that on Friday night. Now, there wasn't a formal service on Saturday, but Sunday we made up for it because we had two. 
So we had the Easter service, the sunrise service early in the morning. Can I get an amen for a sunrise service crowd? Yeah? Well, you should get excited about it because I've already been talking with some local pastors. We're talking about doing a valley-wide one next year. So plan ahead, right? But um, so we had Easter sunrise service, which was like 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, drag you out of bed, get into your Sunday finest, and then we'd have that, and then we would usually like go get a donut or a fritter or something, and then we'd make our way over to church, and we had the regular old church service. Um, but then, you know, family, Southern Baptist, that whole Bible Belt thing, then we'd go to grandma's house and do the Easter egg hunt and do the ham and all that stuff. And then we would leave that one and go to the other grandma's house on the other side of town. It was exhausting week, right? But the hardest part for me, the most difficult part for me throughout that whole week was in the day that we didn't have service because that was the day we went Easter clothing shopping. (laughs) Oh, let me tell you in the Southern Baptist church, it is a sin to go to church wearing something that you've ever worn anywhere before. You had to go get something brand new. And look, man, I was a child of the 80s. Like, we rocked pastel. We had, like, the white jackets and the pastel colors. And then we had, like, the penny loafers, your little Miami Vice action going on with the Sebagos. Some of you guys are wearing them today. You don't have to identify yourself. I'm kind of making fun of them. And we had the knit ties that were cut off at the bottom. You guys remember those? Like we had all that stuff, man. But, but what was so, uh, as a kid, going with my younger sister, my mom taking us from store to store to store to buy these clothings, it was like a special blend of torture. I mean, not only did I not want to wear them myself, the last place I wanted to be was hanging out around the dressing rooms waiting for my sister to come out in an endless supply of Easter dresses while my mom's checking all these things out and going, honey, do you like this suit? I don't like any suit, mom. Why why are we here? But, But here's something that sort of happened to me over the years that I didn't discover until much later in life. That Easter began to be a little more identified in my mindset by some of the hassles that were associated with it. Some of the traditions. We do it. Why? Well, because we always do it. It's going to be a long day. We're going to go to all these other places. We got an early morning service. That's going to be tired. Thursday night, not going to get to watch Cosby show this week. Got to go to the Monday, Thursday. And we didn't have DVR at the time. That was a big deal. I just somehow subtly, as I was growing began to associate Easter as almost the hassles and the difficulties that come with a holiday season. I think if some of us were honest, we'd at least admit that there have been times in our life where those sorts of things can happen. We look at Easter as the things that we have to get done in preparation for the service, or maybe the extra work that's done that day, or the extra volunteering, or the family visits, whatever it is. And and I'm going to let you guys in on a little trade secret here. I don't know that every pastor you talk to is going to admit to it, but I'll tell you a little secret from the pastors that I've talked to and from my own experience and discussing with them, this same attitude has a tendency to permeate the pastoral ministry as well. Because this is the service that we put the most planning to year in and out. This is the service that you expect the most people. This is the service where you get the most pressure. We have people all the time. Someone did it to me this morning. I told them, awesome, you just validated my analogy. But um, where people will come up and they'll be like, hey, I finally got my heathen sister. They didn't say heathen sister, wherever you were. But um, I I finally got my heathen devil-worshiping sister to come. Um, Get them. And you're like, okay, no pressure. None taken. (laughs) But the Easter service can be, there's a lot to it. 
There's a lot of planning. Months of planning go into those things. But, but then, even as a pastor, there can be this extra pressure on the message itself. And I haven't really talked to a pastor that disagreed with me on this. Because you're kind of teaching the same thing every year. And you feel like, well, man, these people were here last year. They're here now. We got the congregation who's always here. And we, we're just trying to navigate. I got to come up with something new. I got to say something different. And I can't say what I said last year. And then here, this morning in particular, we're going through the book of 1 Corinthians on Sundays. We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians, and we find ourselves here at 1 Corinthians 15, which is the ideal passage to be in an Easter service if it wasn't for the fact that I just taught an Easter service out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So then that pressure comes on like you've got to come up with a new thing to say. I've got to come up with a new way to present this. I've got to come at it at a different way. But this morning, our text in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul stands at the very beginning of this passage and he says, not so, not so. Pastors, Christians, whether you're Easter number one or whether you're Easter number 60, the message is always exactly the same. There is one message every Sunday. Oh, there might be different variations, there might be different texts we come from, but the basic message is the same. And Paul proclaims this to us. 1 Corinthians 15, he says in verse 1, Now I would remind you, brothers, in other words, I've told you this already before, of the gospel I preached to you, by which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain." He says right out of the gate, hey, I am reminding you now of the gospel I preached to you. It's what got you saved. It's the gospel that you stand on now. It's the gospel that's changing you. It's the gospel that tells us Jesus is coming again. It's the same message, just like it's the same God. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, it's the same. And too often in Christianity, we can make the mistake of viewing the gospel of Jesus Christ as the door in solely. That the gospel is what we preach to get people into the church. They receive the gospel, they understand it, now they're saved and they're in. But now, let's go on to the deeper things of the word. Let's go on to the more advanced things of the kingdom of God. Let's go on to the other stuff, because we got this foundational thing done, and let's move on. But I'm telling you right now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not merely the door into the church. It is also the walls that separate us from the world outside and protect us from the darts of the enemy. It is also the roof that shelters us during difficult seasons. It is the floor, the foundation upon which we stand. It is the window through which we view everything else in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not an introductory message. It is the message of the Bible. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message in its simplicity is that there is a God. And that in our sinful rebellion, we have separated ourselves from God. But that God came, became man in the person of Jesus Christ, that he lived a perfect existence, that he went to the cross, though he was innocent, and there as he hung on the cross, God placed upon him the weight and the shame, the burden, the guilt of all of our sin, and it killed him. That every drop of sin was poured out upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ paid our debt completely and totally and he died. But that on the third day, he rose again. He is risen. Yeah, you're paying attention right on. And then today he lives. It's, it's, it's really, it's that old hymn. Those of you that have been around for a while, you know the hymn, Because He Lives? 
It says, God sent his son, they call him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Paul stands here at the beginning of the most complete treatise on the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the scriptures, and he says right out the gate, this is the message of the cross. This is what matters. And he continues on in verse 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And you should underline this part, guys. And his grace toward me was not in vain. Can I get an amen on that? On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul says, this is what we preach. That Jesus came, he died, he took on the burden of our sin in accordance with the scriptures, he was buried and on the third day he rose again and by the grace of God he takes sinners, even the vilest of sinners who persecuted the church as he says, and he by his grace saves them. That is the Easter message, that'll be next Sunday's message, that should be every Sunday's message, amen? But now there's something in here, though, that I would like to bring our attention to that might be a, an extra source of encouragement and an extra reminder to us that I was very much blessed by as I looked into these things myself. See, several times in this passage, Paul points out that he's a preacher. He says, I preach this message to you. This is the message we preach. In verse 14, he'll say, if Christ is still dead, our preaching is in vain. He says, this is who I am. I'm a preacher. And so preaching, we should understand, was a little bit different in first century Greece compared to here in, in America today. In our day, we, we view preaching as, well, this. We come to a church service, everybody gets together, the Bible is opened, and someone preaches a sermon and delivers a sermon to you. That's what we view preaching as. But in first century Greece, that's not the case. Preaching was not just some church thing. Preaching was associated actually with the news, with the media. See, the word that Paul uses there when he says to preach, it's the word evangelizo. It means to proclaim, to herald. Um, when he says preaching, it's the word kirigma. And that word in particular means proclamation. It's a declaration. It's a report of something. And so when Paul says, I'm a preacher, he's saying one who declares. You say, well, so what, Jeff? That doesn't seem all that different than what we've associated with. But here's what you have to understand. In first century Greece, the preachers, the declarers, you might know them better as heralds, even criers, town criers. We had those in America even into the 1900s. The preachers were the ones who delivered the news. No internet, young people. There was no internet. There was no TV. There was none of that stuff at the time. And news was completely spread by word of mouth. And so the crier was the person or the herald or the preacher 
would come into the town, he would stand before everyone, hear ye, hear ye, and he would declare the news in that community. Oftentimes there would be a billboard near him, they would have a scroll, he read the news to the people and then they would nail it there so that other people coming by could see for themselves. That's what a preacher was. A preacher was simply someone who delivered the news. And, but there were certain rules that they would use to filter what news was reported and what news wasn't. Like, for example, they would say things like, we, first of all, only preach the news. The, the herald would only declare the news that actually affected that particular community. So it might be national news, but it would be national news that they needed to know. It might be local news, um, whatever the case might be. It would be things that just really mattered to that particular group of people. They didn't really have access to world news the way they did. So it was always news that was applicable to those people right there. But the second one is that they only delivered what's referred to as, even still to this day, as hard news. Or, or you might say, news that matters. You ever hear that on a local news broadcast? This is Channel 5, bringing you news that matters. And then, like they're going to be on Channel 6, we're bringing you news that matters not at all. You know what I mean? They, it seems silly, right, to say that. Of course, I, I would hope you're bringing news that matters. That's it's a tagline that a lot of news agencies use. But the reason they do this is because within the media, and even into this day, there was a difference between what was referred to as hard news and soft news. Now, don't misunderstand me, because I'm going to use this phrase a lot going through this sermon. Hard news doesn't mean this is going to be difficult for you. Hard news does not mean bad news, uh, discouraging news, news you're not going to like. That's not what hard news means. Hard news was news that of actual events that take place that actually affect you, things that matter to you in your day-to-day life. So, for example, I went into our local news and our national news yesterday. What are some examples of yesterday headlines that would be qualified as hard news? So, for example, uh, one of them, local news, traffic stop on I-5 yields 45 pounds of drugs. That's an event that happened. Local law enforcement was a part of it. It was something that tangibly took place in our community that could affect you to some degree or another. Stuff that they feel like you need to know what's going on in your community. That's hard news. Also, Fleeing Central Point man, hit by car, bit by dog, then thrown in jail. That's a full day right there. Um, that's hard news on a lot of levels, right? But, but that's what that is, something that took place. My dad's doing better though, don't worry about it. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, number three, wildfires in the West are increasing. Well, hey, we know from the last couple of years, right, that wildfires and the smoke and the things in the valley, this affects us. This is information that we want to know about. That's hard news. Uh, finally, wanted felons escape by crossing state lines. That, that's important news to alert people to events that are going on in their community that could affect their life. That's what hard news is, things you need to know. You may even need to adjust your life or your routines based on hard news. Now, soft news is a little bit differently. Soft news is stuff that might be of benefit, things that you might like to know, but there's no real necessary thing. It's not necessarily an event. It's not necessarily something that's going to change or affect your life necessarily in any real way, especially not in that moment. Soft news, uh, let's use yesterday's headlines, for example. Soft news, couple married for 70 years dies 15 hours apart. One, two, three. Aww. That's soft news. It's touching. 
It, you, you might gain something from it about your own marriage and all those things, but you don't have to know that. Uh, other things might be, uh, number two, the 10 worst states for retirement. So there's a news article detailing here are the 10 worst states in the country for you to retire in. Oregon didn't make the list, props to us. Uh, number three, Gwen Stefani rumored to replace Christina Aguilera on The Voice. Some of you are like, no, wait, that's, that's a gray area, that one. Like, we, we need to know that. Nah, I'm still going to call that soft news. Num- number four, White House ignores petition to have Justin Bieber deported. I'm changing my mind on that one. I think that's hard news. In fact, we have some petitions that we're going to ask you to sign on the way back out. Biebs has got to go. Now, now listen, so you see the difference. There's a difference between hard news and soft news. And the heralds of those days, the people that proclaimed messages only proclaimed hard news. They, only pro- they didn't come into the town, hear ye, hear ye. Here's how to get rid of fat and keep it off and then declare those sorts of things. It wasn't lifestyle, it wasn't opinion, it wasn't entertainment news, it was things they needed to know. Hear ye, hear ye, the Romans are raising our taxes. Hear ye, hear ye, our city is under siege. That was the information that criers, heralders, or preachers would bring to the community that they were in. Well, there's soft and hard news also in, this is the message of Corinthians, by the way. This is the message Paul brings. He says, I'm a preacher. I'm a herald. I bring the hard news also. That's my job, to stand before you and declare, hear ye, hear ye. God has come. He has died for your sins, and he has been resurrected. He is alive. And that's the message that Paul proclaims. Now you would say, well, I think we should take a message like that and push that more into the religion section. They really could go either way. But the sad reality is, is that we can have soft news versus hard news, even within religion, even within our churches. So for example, every other religion that you look into brings you nothing but soft news. Consider it. If you look into Buddhism, if you look into Mormonism, if you look into Islam, any of the other faiths that you look into, they're built on principles. They're built on philosophies, information that you need. Here's how you achieve enlightenment. Here's how you achieve peace. Here's how you can uh, achieve approval with God or whatever it might be. It's not based on a hard news event that you have to be aware of. They're based on philosophies. But the sad thing is, is that in many places in Christianity, we've actually reduced Christianity into a soft news event as well. It happens all the time. We can reduce Christianity down into a set of messages where we say, here's how you can have a better marriage. Here's how you can have your best life now. Here's how you can have success. Here's how you can find peace with God. And it's the exact same type of message just from a different philosophy that you can find throughout our local news, throughout national news, in soft news sections. And and even in Easter, I mean, the sad thing is, is even in Christianity, there will be churches in our nation today, God bless them, but they'll, they'll take the Easter service and the Easter message and boil it down into soft news. They'll they'll boil it down into principles and say, here's the principle that applies to you on Easter. It may be dark in your life, but Sunday's coming. 
as the film, film thing said. If you came in late, you think I'm weird. Um, if you came in early, you think I'm weird. But that can be the philosophy, right? To say, listen, listen, life is tough. Hang in there. Be patient. Because just before it's darkest, that's when the sun comes up. Hang in there. It may be winter in your life, but spring is waiting to burst forth even in your very heart. Just hang, and we can, we can reduce the Easter message into these feel-good, self-help type messages. Soft news. But please hear me. The essence of Christianity is not soft news. Christianity, in its essence, is not a philosophy It is not a principle. It is not a way of life. It is an event in history that took place that we must know about. It is an event in history that took place that changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not a philosophy that we memorize and throw around to bring people into a club. It is a real event that took place in a real time in history and everything has changed because of it. And when we reduce Christianity down to principles and we take that message out of the central focus of the, of the Christian message, then we have robbed Christianity of all of its power. That's what Paul goes on to say. Verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are falling asleep. Paul says himself, look, if you take Christianity and reduce it down to some way of life or some principles, if you remove the truth of the fact that it's an actual event in history, if we neglect the resurrection ever, then we have removed the power from the very Christian message. He says, what does it matter if we say this is the right way to live? Live like this if Christ is dead. What makes us any different than anyone else? If, If Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain. If Christ is not raised, it doesn't matter what I preach to you because in the end, the result is the same. If Christ is not raised, what hope do we have? If Christ is not raised, then how do we look along upon those who have passed before us? How do we have hope in what our life will look like beyond? I could preach you all the here's what you should do and here's what you shouldn't do messages. We could talk about Christian philosophies. We could talk about all those things. But in the end, they still end in the same place if Christ is not raised in the dirt. But if Christ is raised, it changes everything. Now, don't get me wrong. Encouragement is good. Philosophies, there is very much a Christian philosophy. There is a Christian way of life. We do need wisdom and understanding for how to navigate different difficult seasons in life. And the Bible is replete with that. But the central message and the real only message, the core of our Christian faith is the hard news, the truth of the event that Jesus Christ stood up dropped those burial rags, the stone rolled away, and he walked out. Amen? 
It is the truth of the Christian message. That's why Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. For the Jews, the Gentiles, the entire world, everything has changed because of this. The, cru- the resurrection and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the motor by which the whole thing runs. You can have the greatest Ferrari in the world, but if you have no motor, it does you no good. It's the heartbeat. You could be incredibly physically fit with the muscle and body structure to be the fastest man on the face of the earth, but if your heart's not pumping blood, you'll go nowhere. And the core of our faith is the reality that Jesus Christ has risen. And so why are we here this morning? Man, I've been to 41 Easter services for a lot of different reasons, from tradition to have to, to mom and dad make me, all of those sorts of things. But the truth of the matter is, we are gathered here together, the body of Christ, together at Heritage Christian Fellowship this morning, to join with the angels and with all those who testified and the preachers and heralds of old, to say that Jesus Christ is risen. If you, there you go, he's on it. He is risen indeed. Extra points for you. So, Think of it, I mean, just think of it through the Bible. When Jesus Christ breaks into history and he is born that night in Bethlehem, what happens? The angels appear to the shepherds and they say what? We bring you good news. We bring you good tidings. It was the reporters right there. It was a delivery of the news. If you look at Peter, when he goes and gives the first sermon in Acts chapter two, what does he do? He just declares the news to them. He says, you killed Jesus, but he's alive. You might want to repent. It's important, it's probably gonna affect you. That's what happens. Even when the women come to the tomb on Easter morning, they're coming to mourn and to weep for their crucified savior. And the angel's there, why are you looking for the dead or the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Few of you guys are getting it. So this is what we're here for this morning. The message of Easter Sunday is the message of the Bible, is the message of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it is this, that there is a God. And that in our sin and rebelliousness, we have separated ourselves from that God. And that the wages of that sin is death. And that unless we have a Savior, we have no hope. But we take hope. Because God became man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, lived a perfect life, never sinned, did exactly what we could not. He went to the cross, he carried upon his shoulders the weight, the blame, the guilt of every sin, past, present, and future. He died, paying the price for that sin. But on the third day, he rose again. He appeared. I mean, this is hard news. This is what Paul is saying here in this story. He says, look, he appeared to me. He appeared to the apostles, Peter first. I mean, for goodness sakes, guys, he appeared to 500 people. Just go ask them yourselves. Most of them are still alive. He's just reporting the news. And you got to understand, even this letter was written within 20 years of Jesus walking the earth. He's saying, just go ask them. This is hard news that you need to be aware of. And that same Jesus has ascended into heaven, but he says, I will return to gather my church. I will return to gather my people. And because he lives, our preaching is not in vain. Because he lives, our faith is not in vain. Because he lives, we don't have to fear death. The the hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. That is the Easter message. If you remember nothing else, remember, he lives. 
That is hard news, and that changes everything. It cannot be ignored. It changes everything that he is still alive. I'll be in Israel next month. I'll take a picture of the tomb for you, but don't expect to see a body. It's empty. He lives. So when we hear this, there's then comes the response. Like I said, grew up in North Carolina. One of the things that we would hear all the time is we lived in the storm alley where the tornadoes and the hurricanes would come up through the coast. And every so often, the local news, the local radio, everyone, it would just light up with reports. Hey, there's a hurricane coming. There's a hurricane coming. Prepare. That's hard news. You need to know this. This might affect you. This might affect your decisions. This might, you need to prepare. This is real news. There's a storm coming. But what you would see is no one would just wait till they saw the storm and go, oh yeah, they were right. I should go to the grocery store and buy milk. Like that's not how it went down. You would go to the grocery store and find the milk's already gone if you waited too long. I mean, people would hammer the grocery stores and buy milk and batteries and food and ice and all of those kind of things because they knew if the storm's for real, like they're telling us, we're going to have a hard time for a couple of days through these things. So our job here today as believers with one another and in this particular message here is to declare to everyone in this room the hard news that is good news, that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and Jesus Christ is returning. And Jesus calls us to respond to the gospel. He calls us to respond by receiving him as Lord. And to receive Jesus Christ, you need only do four things. And they're pretty simple. Number one, we need to understand and acknowledge our need for salvation. The Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's the person who understands their need for salvation, that our sin has separated us from God, who understands this. That is a require. We've got to understand our need for a Savior or you'll never value the Savior. The second thing is we are called to repent and turn from our sin. to to ask forgiveness from that which we've done and to turn and say, I don't want to live for those things anymore. I want to live for you. And number three, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That he did come. That he did die, was buried, resurrected on the third day, ascended into heaven, and he is returning again for us. And then number four is that we receive Jesus Christ through prayer. That we come to Jesus Christ, we turn to him, pour our heart out to him, confess our sins before him, and say, you are my king. You are my Lord. The scriptures say in the book of Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this morning, that's, that's what we're here to do. And then the prescribed step after that for every believer is baptism. That at that moment, when you have given your heart to the Lord, man, the God puts his Holy Spirit in you. He changes your heart and, and we begin to learn. It's not an instant thing necessarily, but we begin to start walking with him and start following him. And the first step that is prescribed to all believers is that we would follow Jesus Christ into the waters of baptism. Baptism, is it ceremonially? Yeah. Is it a ceremonial practice for the church? Yes, but it's more than that. It's a sacrament that God has entrusted in the church. And it is an important step that every believer must do. The Bible says that we are baptized into Christ in baptism. Colossians says that we are buried with him in death and raised to walk in baptism. There's something supernatural and significant that is a part of baptism that identifies us and joins us with Christ in that way and baptizes us into a different degree of fellowship within the believers, body of believers. Corinthians says we are all baptized into one body. And so that's what we're here today, this morning to do, 
to report to you the good news that Jesus Christ lives, that it's not fake, that we're not just following vain fables. It's not just some made-up story. It is a real, tangible, significant event that changes everything for everyone. We're here to call you to repentance, to ask that you would receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you would follow him in obedience in baptism, and that you would join the family of Jesus Christ. Today we proclaim to you the risen Savior. So why are you here? Did you come this morning because you wanted to feel good about things, maybe hear an uplifting message? Did you come this morning because mom made you and it's Easter, it's hard to say no? Did you come this morning because you just always have, it's just part of tradition? Did you come here for soft news? Here's the steps to peace. Here's the steps to happiness. Here's how I can have a more successful business. Well, I'm offering you so much more than that this morning because we present to you a king and a savior and a friend and a new family. The next move is yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the the reality of the risen king. Lord, we confess and acknowledge, Lord, our need for a Savior. For, Lord, we are all, everyone in this room has fallen short of your glory. And we need your help. But, Lord, we know, according to your scriptures and the testimony of your Spirit in our lives, that you are real and that you sent your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, we understand that you lived the perfect life that we never could that you paid a price we could never pay. Lord, we know that you carried our sin and shame on the cross. Our rebelliousness, our unforgiveness, our pride, our lust, our anger, our hatred, our self-worship. Lord, you paid the price for all of that upon the cross and you carried that to the grave, but Father, you rose from the grave and we believe that. Lord, you emerged victorious. You defeated sin and death once and for all. Lord, we know that the resurrection proves to us that you are who you said you are and that you grant the forgiveness to us that we so desperately need. So Lord, as people come forward to the waters for baptism this morning, as people make decisions, Lord, in light of the news that has been presented to them, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would move in this room. For believers that are here, who maybe this is their 50th Easter service, may they worship you with a renewed joy, being reminded of the good news of your gospel. For those who have just given their life to you and they're coming forward for baptism and obedience, God, may you make this a special time for them that they can look back with great joy for years to come, that they might treasure it as they are buried with you in baptism. Lord, for those that are in this place that are sitting on the fence, those who have never committed their lives to you, those that have never made that decision to follow you, those who have never made you Lord of their life, I pray, God, that you would break down the fallow ground of their heart, that your spirit would touch them, that you would open their eyes, remove the veil, that they might see the reality of your risen son, that they might follow him, and that they might be part of the kingdom of God. 
So we commit these things to you, Jesus. And we thank you for the salvation you offer in Jesus' name. Amen. At this moment, those who are here to be baptized and those who are here would like to speak to someone to pray to receive Jesus Christ and to follow him into the waters of baptism, we invite you to stand now and join. Join us over here at the baptismal waters. For the rest of you, pray, worship, and glory in the